to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 24 through the epilogue of Mockingjay, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. Before I get started, I just wanted to give a brief disclaimer that I am going to be discussing some particularly heavy topics that are present in the story this week, including attempted suicide and drug addiction and withdrawal. So please use your own discretion and skip this episode if you don't feel comfortable hearing these things discussed. Now to get into the recap. Katniss and her squad come up with a plan to get her and Gail to the city circle so she can attempt to kill Snow. They will blend in with the capital refugees who are being brought to the mansion. While they are making their way through the crowds, the rebels attack, sending the street into chaos. During the mayhem, Gail is captured by peacekeepers. The capital children are rounded up and brought closest to the mansion, acting as a sort of human shield for Snow. A capital hovercraft appears and drops a bunch of parachutes over the children. However, when they go to reach for them, they explode. A group of rebel medics rush in to help, and Katniss notices Prim is among them, but a second round of bombs goes off, killing her. Katniss is badly burned in the explosion, but she survives. The rebels officially win the war, and Katniss is kept in Snow's mansion to recover and wait for his execution. She finds Snow imprisoned in his greenhouse, and he tells her that it was not him but Coin who dropped the bombs. She grapples with this, trying to determine if what he has said is true. Gale finally comes to visit Katniss, and she asks if the bombs were his. He says he doesn't know, but that it doesn't matter because she'll always be thinking about it, so the two go their separate ways. Coin calls the seven surviving victors to a meeting and proposes a symbolic Hunger Games with the children of former Capitol officials, asking them each to vote on it. Katniss is appalled by this, but she votes yes because she has her own plan in mind. The vote passes four to three. At Snow's execution, Katniss kills Coin instead and is subsequently arrested. She is locked up during her trial, and during that time, she is determined to kill herself before anyone can use her again. After the trial, she is sent back to District 12 with Hamage. Peta eventually returns as well, along with a few hundred other survivors of the bombing. They begin to rebuild a life for themselves in District 12. Katniss and Peta grow close again, and she eventually tells him that she loves him. The book ends with an epilogue in which they have two young children and have begun to heal from the games, the war, and all the tragedy. And that is our original book trilogy. Guys, we've made it through the first three books and also the end of this trilogy. I'm kind of sad about it because I am going to miss talking about Mockingjay a lot. However, I'm also excited to get into Ballad. Um, that being said, I'm not going to waste time because I do have a lot of topics to cover this week and I am determined to get them all in. So I am just going to jump right into it. Let's talk about chapter 24. When I say that Mockingjay is my favorite book, yes, it's for the character stuff. Yes, it's for the plot. But a lot of it is actually for like the the quality of the writing is really good. And I'm not talking about those more broad things, but I'm talking about the language. And chapter 24 is a really good example of just how good of a writer Suzanne Collins is. Because what is happening in this chapter is that everything is going bonkers. Like pods are going off. Everyone's shooting at each other. No one knows who anyone is. It's complete mayhem. And while I'm reading it, I feel that anxiety because it's so hard to tell what's going on and this is all part of like the genius of having this series being told in first person through the perspective of Katniss who is a teenager because you literally have no idea what's going on and it makes like it makes your heart rate speed up right like it makes you you anxious while you're reading it especially because the stakes are so high at this point and you know that anyone could die at any moment which people do Prim literally dies right after this um 
And Prim seems like the most unkillable character in the series because she's so young and so innocent. And that is why her death is such a massive tragedy. And I did talk a lot about that in the episode I did on her. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about her and her death because I did that already. So go check that out. Um, But this chapter is just so well written. And like, again, it just like it makes me anxious to read it even now, even though I've read it so many times, because it's just so you so feel in that perspective of a person who is in this situation where no one knows what's going on and accompany that with like the terror of being in that situation. And I also have similar thoughts to the start of chapter 25 after Prim's death and after Katniss has been burned severely. Uh, But I'll talk about that when I get there. So Prim's death, along with the killing of all these children. First of all, before we even get into the, like, who dropped these bombs? Was it Coin? Was it Snow? Snow is using the children as a human shield, which doesn't shock anyone. We know that he doesn't care if children die. The Hunger Games, the whole series is about a tournament in which children fight each other to the death for other people's entertainment. But he does use them as a bit of a shield. And this brings me to, not a bit of a shield, like literally that's what he's doing. Reminds me to the first like big point I want to talk about, which is the children in this series being the like truly, truly innocent victims of this system. And obviously this whole series is like highly fictionalized events that are meant to reflect reality. And we see this in the real world where everyone, all these politicians, all these people who are in charge and I'm talking like within the series, like the people from the Capitol, Snow, his closest advisors, the head peacekeepers, the game makers, anyone like that, are all these adults who don't care about the children at all. And every decision they make is going to have long-term repercussions, but not for them. They're not going to be around to see it. The people who are going to feel it are the people who are children right now. People who are the same age as Katniss, who is is a 17 year old is someone who wouldn't really have any power in this system but she manages to make some for herself along with help obviously but you get my point but the children are the ones who are dying they're the ones who are fighting in the hunger games and it's supposed to like be a punishment to the people who fought against the capital but they're not the ones being punished their kids are and i'm not saying that it doesn't have consequences for everyone because it so does but The children, again, are the ones who are like truly innocent in this and they're too young to even be a part of it. And they're the ones who are dying and having to fight for their lives. And that theme is obviously very present in the games, but then it becomes present in the war because Snow, once again, doesn't care about these children at all and is going to use them as a human shield against them. Coin doesn't care about them at all and is willing to let them all die to get what she wants. Like, And all of these people are completely innocent because they're young children. And I'll get more into Coin's plans later because I have a lot to say about her. Um, But I do think that like we are seeing firsthand that that like they are the ones suffering the consequences of the decisions being made by people in generations that came before them. And it's obviously very unfair, but it's also real where we see young people who don't necessarily have any power are going to be forced to live with the decisions that are being made by people who, again, aren't going to be around to see the consequences. And Suzanne Collins does a really good job of kind of like subtly, I mean, nothing about this series is, is subtle in terms of like the real world issues they're addressing. Like it's very, very obvious, 
However, there are smaller details that are a little more subtle, but they are, they are very much there. And I could sit here and list examples, but I don't have time because I have a million topics to get through and I already feel like I'm talking so fast. So we're going to move along. However, in terms of Prim's death, the one thing that I will say, the way that this scene parallels the scene at the reaping, first of all, because Katniss is thinking of that moment. And I talked about this in my episode on Prim about how like from the moment Prim was reaped, Katniss was never going to be able to save her. And she postponed it and she fought against it. But in the end, she still died. And so calling back to that scene, which was the first moment where she was truly, truly faced with Prim's death in a really immediate way. Like they had had situations where they were both on the brink of starvation, like living in District 12. Either of them could have died at any moment. But in that moment is a real tangible, immediate threat to her life. And she acts first. And that's why she volunteers for her because she has to do anything to save her. And so in this moment, she starts running for her because she's going to jump in and save her even at the cost of her own life. But she can't reach her in time. And that's why Prim dies and Katniss gets very badly burned. But the beginning of chapter 25, this is what I'm talking about when I say like the language in this book is so beautiful because she's on fire and, and you can feel the agony of that. And she has this whole sort of like this, she's in the state where she's like not really conscious. She's in so much pain. Like she has no idea what's real and what's not. And she's being like pulled down, pulled back into life though. It's not that she's being pulled down by the dead trying to kill her. The dead are the ones trying to lift her up. She says that the people she loves who have died come to her like birds trying to lift her out of this. And this is where we start to really see like how much she doesn't want to live. Because at first it was a like, I'm going to sacrifice my, if, if I have to sacrifice my own life to kill Snow, so be it. But now it's like, she's fighting against that. And so this scene is like, I think it's very underrated. Like I don't see people talk very much about the scene because we talk more about like the actual events of this book, but this scene is so pivotal and so incredibly written and it just like hits you right where it needs to hit and so when she does come back and I I wrote this line down because it really really sticks with me when she does eventually come back to consciousness and she's she's being treated and she's alive and she says gradually I'm forced to accept who I am a badly burned girl with no wings with no fire and no sister because now the war is over and she's not, she doesn't have to be the Mockingjay anymore, which in many ways is a good thing because she no longer has that heavy, heavy burden and demands placed on her. But she's looking around and she's like, what do I have left? Prim was the person she loved more than anything and she's gone. Her mother is more distant than ever. She barely sees her because she's, she's very much like burying her grief in her work. Peta is, she doesn't even know in what condition. Most of the people she was friends with or went to the capital with died. Obviously, we'll talk about her and Gail and what happens there, but he's not really like a part of her life anymore. And so she kind of feels like she has nothing left. She has, she's holding on to this promise to kill Snow. And after that, she's like, I won't have anything. And it's really hard to rebuild a life when you're left with basically nothing except for pain and trauma. And that is why I think that the end of her story is so remarkable because she manages to do that and it was never easy and it's never going to be easy. She still struggles with it, even in the epilogue, which takes place like 
many, many years after the actual events of a series, she still has to fight for that every single day and fight not to fall back into the pain that has been inflicted upon her. And so I don't think, like, I think that it's really, really remarkable that she was able to find a peaceful and happy life for herself when all the odds were stacked against her achieving that. And a big part of that is because she recognizes that a lot of people who fought with them don't get to have that because they didn't survive long enough or they didn't make it out of the war. And so it's also part of honoring their legacies and honoring specifically Prim's legacy, because obviously she's the most influential to Katniss's story. But just of like all these people who didn't get to have this kind of life, we can have that. And so it would be it would be a waste to throw that opportunity away. And that's what she kind of realizes. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, yeah, let's talk about Gail since I already kind of mentioned it. Here's the thing. A lot of people, there are a lot of reasons to hate Gail, okay? Absolutely. And a lot of people are like, how can you like Gail? He killed Katniss's sister. He killed Prim. Here's the thing with that. Was it actually Gail's bombs that killed her? We don't know. But the point being made in this, first of all, after after Prim's death and and Kat, while Katniss is recovering in the hospital from these severe burns, Gail doesn't come to see her. He goes to District 2 to kind of like fight out the rest of the like remaining, you know, peacekeepers, capital loyalists, wherever, because he can't face her. And even he doesn't know if it was his bomb. Like, I don't think that he knows for sure either way, because whatever plan was in place to to bomb these children very few people would have known about it but he so he doesn't even know but he he knows that it's a possibility and that guilt is overwhelming to him and he runs away from it and running away from your guilt is a really real thing that like is an actual response to traumatic events however Katniss needed him to be there she needed someone to have her back then. And he could have been that person he chose not to be. He chose to run away. So when he finally comes back and she's like, you didn't come to see me, he doesn't have a response for that. Because he didn't. He wasn't there. And he could have been is the thing. It was his choice. He chose not to be there. But also, again, and this is the point that he makes actually, is that it doesn't matter if it was his bomb that killed Prim or not. She's never going to be able to move past it. And just the fact that it could have been is already too much for her. The fact that he had even designed a weapon that could have been capable of doing something like that has been too much for her. She didn't like the idea of this weapon when he first presented it to her. And now we see its actual consequences. And so the fact that he could have even been capable of something like that just proves that they were never going to be able to stick with each other. And she she wonders about that. She's like, if if the games had never happened, if none of this stuff had ever happened, would we, would we have, you know, gotten married, stayed together? Or would this sort of rift between us have formed anyway? And that's one of those like, what ifs you don't really know. But the point is that they are not compatible. And I'm not even talking in a romantic way. I'm just talking like, she, she knows she can't be around someone who could have even created something that would be capable of this level of destruction and, and pain. So that's where I'm like, it doesn't actually matter if it was his bomb or not. The point remains the same that it could have been and that she she can't handle that. And I think she's so right for that. Um, so she says goodbye to him. And I also do think it's important to note that when she finds out that Gail's not coming back to District 12, 
rather than being sad or upset about it, she says the only thing she feels is relief because being around him has become so draining for her. And it's partially because of his constant expectations that something romantic happened between them, but also just because of how different they, how different their worldviews have become in a way that like she can't just look past anymore. It's extremely exhausting and draining for her to be around him. So the fact that he doesn't come back is a source of relief for her. And that tells you everything you need to know about their relationship and whether they could have ever had a relationship because she feels better without him there. And you can't, you could never make an argument that that is going to be a better relationship for her because he never made her happy in the way that Peta did. I'm not saying he never made her happy and I'm not saying she didn't love him in their own way, but when you bring it, when you boil it down to that relief that she feels at not having him back and the relief that she feels at having Peta come back, it's not even comparable. Um, brief note, I didn't know where to put this in my topics because it doesn't really go with anything. Effie's back, y'all. Um, best decision ever made actually for the movies was putting Effie in Mockingjay part two or Mockingjay part one and two more. Um, one, because Elizabeth Banks icon, like we need more of her whenever possible. Um, but also just because Effie's a great character. And again, it's just another person to sort of be there for Katniss when very few people are, but she's back. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it makes me so happy when she's sitting there. Okay, now let's talk about Coin and Snow and this whole situation. When Katniss finds Snow in the mansion, he's not like in prison. He's not under heavy guard. He literally has like two guards and he's in his greenhouse. And she, and there's this line that really made a lot of things click for me about Coin. I like by this point, we know what kind of person Coin is, and it's about to become even increasingly more clear to us what kind of person she is. But this line says, Yet Coin left him here to set a precedent, I guess, so that if in the future she ever fell from grace, it would be understood that presidents, even the most despicable, get special treatment. And what this is saying is that Coin. All we've come to realize that what Coin cares about more than anything else is power, her own power, not the people she's fighting for, not the country, her power. And so in her treatment of Snow, she is acknowledging that she recognizes that power, even despite what a despicable person he is. And it's like, oh, but he was the president. This was his mansion. So we'll give him like a nice cozy room instead of locking him up in a cell somewhere. And Katniss is like, that is not good. That's a massive red flag in terms of like what coin would be as a president. But then she talks to Snow and Snow is like, I didn't drop those bombs, coin did. And here's the thing. Technically, we never actually find out if what he's saying is true. And if you had me sit down and take a guess, I would guess that it was coins bombs just because it makes sense. However, we don't actually know for sure. And Katniss never finds out for sure. And again, that's a great thing about it being from her perspective. But the point is that it doesn't actually matter. Because when she sits down and Coin says, I want to have another Hunger Games with Capital Children, confirms it was her idea. It doesn't matter what else she did. That right there is the, per- is the sign that she is not going to be any better than Snow was. Compiled with everything else we've known about her this whole time, that is the tipping point. And it doesn't matter if she blew up those kids, if she killed Prim. 
obviously all that stuff added on top just adds more and more to the like, yeah, we can't let this woman be in charge. But again, either way, she's not the right choice. Clear as day, we can see that. And Katniss realizes that at this vote, she's like, nothing is ever going to change if we keep electing people like this. And she decides to do something about it. But back to Snow, Coin has had, obviously Snow has been playing this all like a game because that's what he does. He plays games. But Coin's been doing it too. But Coin's game was to pit Snow and Katniss against each other, to pit the capital and the districts against each other. So that when this war ended, 13 would be relatively untouched. 13 has a huge arsenal of weapons and they could step in and claim power and she could become president and no one could contest that. And that's the problem is she's promised a free election for the people. But even if she has to hold herself to that, this is going to end with her as the president. She will make certain of it because she's established that she's willing to do anything for that. And if we're going with the assumption that she killed Prim, which again, it was very intentional. Like Prim was only 13 years old. There was no way she should have been out on the front lines. Someone extremely high up would have had to authorize it. That's someone being coined. It all works out a little too nicely, which is why that's most likely what happened. And the thing there is that like killing Prim on its own is bad. Obviously I don't need to sit here and explain why. And so, but if that was her strategy was to like kill Prim and place Katniss firmly on her side, how many other children died too? And she didn't care. She was willing to kill all those other children if it meant she would become president. Sounds a lot like Coriolanus Snow when you think about it like that, doesn't it? But her her other part of her plan was that like she didn't really, re- she the other rebels knew she was the leader of the rebellion, but she didn't reveal herself publicly until after Katniss was thought to be dead, which was when Snow was like, the rebellion doesn't even have a leader. They just have Katniss. And then she was like, I'm the leader. Because the entire time, and this is what Snow says, he was like, you were watching me and I was watching you and we both got played for fools. Because she was so focused on the moves that Snow was making and he was so focused on what she was doing that they didn't even realize that Coin was the real threat all along. And again, obviously Snow was the threat too. It's critical that he not be in charge anymore either. But but Coin had her own plan and it all ends with her on top. Oh my God, Coin lands on top, Snow lands on top. It's all coming together. People who haven't rebelled right now are probably so confused about why I'm acting like that. But You'll understand the phrase snow lands on top soon enough. And that is her exact philosophy too, is like coin lands on top. As long as she's in charge, it doesn't matter who has to die for her to get there. So again, whether she dropped those bombs or not, she's not the she's not the choice, you know? Oh my God. Okay, sorry. So while Katniss is trying to work all this out, she's like, guys, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. You'll see why in a second. She's like, who can I talk to about this? I know. Hamish Abernathy. He's always been there for me. And he started drinking again. Because, you know, he was always going to. Sorry. And she goes to talk to him about this. We all know how I feel about that man, okay? This is the only time I will ever say anything remotely negative about him. Okay? So everyone enjoy it. It will never happen again. She goes in and she's like, I need to talk to you. It's really important. And this is also, keep in mind, she has not spoken since she since her recovery from the burning. She 
she's what they ended up calling like a mental rather than physical AVOX. So she doesn't speak because she, because the amount of trauma she's endured, but she, she finally speaks again when she's talking to Snow. So this is the first time he's heard her speak and he's like, oh my God, you're talking again. Completely wasted during this, by the way. So, so bear that in mind. He's super drunk, which, but, but what he says, my point here is she's like, I need your help with something. And this is so important because she's trying to work out the truth of her who killed her sister and and like the fate of the entire country her own well-being like everything is at stake here and he says i can't even do it he's like what's the matter more boy trouble (gasps) hey mitch i will say immediately after that she she storms out also the line that's like this hurts me in a way hey mitch rarely can girl that hurt that hurt because they've said literally the worst things to each other but now she's coming to him with something that is so important and he's like oh are you having an issue with a boy again and it's obviously meant in like a joking way but like not the time again he's totally drunk during this and when she does go to leave he's like okay i'm sorry not funny like he immediately acknowledges that it was not funny so i forgive him um but in that moment that is so so detrimental to her and this is where I stand firmly on the like Hamish is not her father figure he's not gonna be because even when they go back to district 12 he's not actually looking after her he's getting drunk and raising geese and sometimes comes to visit that's not what a father figure does adore him love him more than life itself but you know and this is really bad for her though because he is the one last person she could possibly confide in. It takes a lot for her to go and talk to him. And so for him to brush it off as a, even as a joke, pushes her like beyond a breaking point. And at that point, she's no longer willing to talk to him. But then, and I will restrain myself talking about them during this symbolic vote scene because we all know I talked about it at length. If you haven't listened to my Hamish episode, you really should. Now we're at the end of the series. So if this is your first time reading, you don't have to worry about the spoilers anymore. So go listen to that. It's probably my favorite episode I've ever done. But then when they're at this vote and she votes yes, and he votes yes, because of he's like, I know you've got something going on. And she's also like, this is the moment we find out how much we truly understand each other. It's so good. I already talked about it though. So I don't need to talk about it. I'm restraining myself. But even like past all that, she's like, I still know that I can rely on him to understand me in a way that probably no one else does because we are so similar. But this symbolic vote scene, I said this, I think literally last week on my Joanna Mason episode that is literally my joker. Like out of the things that I could talk for hours and hours and hours about, this is one of them. And I talked about it in my Joanna episode. I talked about her vote. I talked about it in the Hamage episode. I think I talked about it in the PETA episode. Pretty much everyone who's in this room, I talked about it during their episode if they had one and or maybe someone else adjacent to them so i've kind of talked it to death but now we're at the actual scene first of all like i said coin is very adamant about the fact that this was her idea not plutarch's hers she takes credit for this idea she's proud of this idea and it's basically as a substitution for the executions of capital officials not necessarily as a substitution but she's like She's worried that the people are not going to stop calling for bloodshed, which is a very specific interpretation of like the nature of people. And I think this scene actually ties in really well to Ballad because that whole book is about kind of the like nature versus nurture thing and like, and and the themes of like, what is the like base nature of people? 
And this scene is kind of like that because she just assumes that even if they execute all these people, people will still be calling for blood. And that is a heavy assumption to make, especially for a country that's just been through a war and wants nothing more than to rest and heal. But the actual breakdown of the vote is very interesting because, and, and and like people's explanations of why they're voting the way they did. PETA is the very first person to speak up and say, absolutely not. And Peta is slowly getting more to be more like his old self at this point. So it means a lot. But um, he's very adamant, like, no, we cannot keep killing each other. And Beatty also votes no, his very logical standpoint. And his thing is like, we have to stop looking at each other as enemies because we've been fighting each other. Someone's been fighting someone for the last over 75 years, which was a whole different war. And now we have all of this, it's all built up. And and the fir- your first instant coin as president is to encourage more fighting. Okay. Annie votes no and is basically like, if Finnick were here, he would vote no too, which he absolutely would. But there's still this idea of revenge, which can be a very strong thing. And that's why Joanna votes yes, because she still wants revenge for everything that Snow's done to her and all the people she's lost because of him. And Obari is there too. I don't really feel the need to talk in detail about her because, you know, she's just kind of there. But Katniss and Hamish voting yes, because she, she votes yes, because she really needs Snow's execution to happen. And I've seen debate of people being like, did she know already that she was going to kill Coin? Did she not decide that until the moment? And I think that it's, you know, she definitely has some decision making in that moment where she actually kills Coin, where she's like, what's the best call right now? But Her voting yes is very calculated and she doesn't vote yes because she actually wants this. She doesn't want there to be another Hunger Games. Like we have her internal monologue in that scene where she's like, this is ridiculous. We're doing this again. 75 years later, we're going to approve another Hunger Games. This like things will never get better if we keep doing stuff like this. But she makes a very calculated decision to vote, vote yes because she needs to remain on Coin's good side just a little bit longer until she can figure things out. Whether that's getting her in place to execute Snow or just because she knows if she votes no, if she gets on Coin's bad side, because if she votes no, Coin's going to start thinking, oh, she's not going to support me in any election that happens. She's a problem. And Hamish backs her up on that because he understands her. <sighs> love them so much. I love them so much. Man, I'm not going to be able to talk about Hamish after this week. I'll still find a way. You know I will. But end of an era. Wow, I'm kind of emotional about it, actually. Um, but she does decide to kill Coin, And you know that Hamish was like, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm shocked by this, this this turn of events. Also in this scene, she shoots Coin, and then she's going to take the Nightlock pill that's in her sleeve pocket. But when she goes to take it, she bites out into Peter's hand instead. This dialogue got cut from the movie. Oh, whatever. It's fine. It's not fine. I think about it every day. She says, let me go. And this man... Keep in mind, this is post-hijacked PETA. And I had that whole conversation a few weeks ago about him falling back in love with her. The stay with me always. He, she says, let me go. And he says, I can't. I can't believe they invented romance. Oh my gosh. Oh, that scene makes me crazy insane. Because she, this is when she's at the point where she just wants to die. She just wants to be out of this. And that was him not that long ago. But she didn't let him die. She pulled him back. And now he's doing the same thing for her. Girl. Anyway, moving on before I go insane. Then she gets locked up during her trial and doesn't know anything. 
And this is when it's like really at her lowest where she's like determined to kill herself before anyone can try to use her again or torture her or do whatever they're going to do to her. She's not going to do it anymore. And so she basically decides to like, you know, just take, take, like, stop eating, stop taking the medication, whatever. But she has developed a morphling addiction by this point because morphling is a highly, highly addictive drug that even if you just take it for a brief period of time and, and like going cold turkey is a lot. And she has, she has seen two people go through extremely serious withdrawals before. One of them being Hamish in the scene that I can't talk about because I literally will cry. The other being Joanna. And so she goes through this extremely difficult period of withdrawal as well. And I think that the understanding that she has in that moment of like, why, because she never really understood fully. She understood why Hamish would want to not feel things. But like the idea, because she drinks at that one scene at his house and she's like, why would anyone do this? But now she's realizing that like things can become so painful and, and having that escape and she understands why they do it. And so I think that's a really important moment for her in terms of her relationship with those two people but also just like an understanding of like herself and like what point she's at in her life now where things are at such a low point. But also she starts to sing. And I think this is so incredible because music has been a part of her life, her entire life, but it was always a thing that was linked to her father. And that's why it became difficult for her after he died and her relationship with music became very strained. And music is also also like very important within the themes of the story. And now we have Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Music is so important in that novel. One of the main characters is like literally a singer. That's her whole thing is she writes music and it's essential to her character. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Point is music is very important to the series as a whole and is used politically throughout the series. And now it is being used as like something for her to hold on to is that she can sing and find her voice again. And especially when she's coming from the point where she wouldn't even speak and now she's beginning to sing and express herself in that way is something like really beautiful. Um, so yeah, this is really dark, obviously. Then she returns to District 12 um, and Hamish gets sent with her because her mother doesn't go back to District 12. Her mother goes to District 4 to help set up a hospital, which I think is is great for her. Like, it'll be good for her. However, Katniss does have to go back home without her mother. And I and it's a very, like, obvious example of, like, the whole, like, people grieve in different ways because, you know, for her, for her mother, it's like she can't face it. You know, she can't go back to this place that she lived with Prim and not have her there. Katniss, on one hand, doesn't really get a choice because they're like, we just need to put you somewhere because you just killed the new president and like everything's in chaos. But also I think that she would have made the decision to return home anyway, because again, like whatever happened, it's still her home. But her mother doesn't, um, which I think is really hard for her because again, now she's left with like no family. She just has Hamish. Um, and again, he's not the most reliable person right now because he started drinking again. And again, in my episode about him, I talked a lot about like how I, his ending in the story and like how I feel about that. Uh, another returning to District 12, though, is Buttercup makes his way back to 12. And I talked about the like Buttercup Katniss Lynx theory, like parallels between them, whatever you want to call it. And so 
this moment is so key between them because first of all she fully breaks down and cries in a way that she really hasn't since prim's death she's just been kind of feeling nothing and using substances to feel nothing at many points and now she's like feeling it all and she even calls her mother and like cries with her about it like she's finally allowing herself to feel the grief and that is the first step in healing is to allow yourself to grieve and and buttercup is also grieving because he was prim's cat like he loved prim too and so now they kind of have to like stick with each other Peta also comes back so true and they make this book that's basically like a book of the people that they've lost um important to note Hamish comes to add to this book and adds 23 years worth of tributes he mentored let's think about that for a second he remembers all 46 tributes that he mentored that died 46 children that it was his job quote unquote to keep alive who died and he remembers every single one yeah (laughs) let that sink in let that sink in um but he you know he also has lost a lot and and still feels it even though now like they won and snow's longer charged and then now paler's in charge which is actually good because stan paler she's incredible um and will actually do good things for the country and actually cares about people unlike coin and unlike snow but that doesn't mean things are instantly better for people hamish included and he and i like he's not he doesn't get better you know like he has his geese. I love that for him, but he still drinks. He's still not really there most of the time. I'm sure he still has nightmares. I'm sure he never really recovers because he's been living that way for over 20 years. And it's so hard to break out of something like that, especially when you don't really want to, which he doesn't. And it's heartbreaking. I trust me. I know I cry about it sometimes, but yeah, his contributions to this book really, (sighs) God, But yeah, this is when we get into stuff about like legacy and like all these people fought and gave their lives so that we could have a future and we're not going to throw that away. And we're going to honor them every single day. And we're going to live our lives and do our best to heal in a way that they never got a chance to heal and have a new life. Obviously, her and Peta end up together, which I literally don't understand. I don't understand how you read this series and still are like, she should end up with Gail. But it literally tells you on the last page before the epilogue why she ended up with Peta and some people are still like she should have ended up with Gail. Girl it's on the page it says it right there because and this is going back to like her never being able to like look past the fact that these could have been Gail's weapons that killed Pram and like how he was even capable of something like that but she there's there's this whole thing throughout the entire series and it's like a kind of an oversimplification to be like, Peter represents peace, Gail represents war, Peter represents kindness, Gail represents rage. All these things are true and are in integral parts of their characters. But at the end of the day, it's about who is going to, who's going to bring her peace. Sorry, I just started thinking about Peace by Taylor Swift, which is the Everlark song. Although competition now exists in the form of the Great War. Because, like, look at the lyrics of that song and tell me it's not about them. But peace is just so... But the point is that Gail was never going to... She was never going to have a happy, peaceful life with Gail just because of who they were as people. And he never, like I said before, made her happy in the way that PETA does, where, like, just being around PETA makes her feel safe and makes her feel happy and secure and gives her hope that they could have a better future. 
And that is what she needs. And that is also what she wants, which is, is just as important. Because again, this is about love. It's about who you care about. It's about who makes you happy. It's about what you want. And she has never been able to think about what she wants before. It's always been what other people need or what she like survive needs for survival. And so now she's at the point where she's not literally faced with death. And she gets to think about what she actually wants. And what she wants is to be with PETA. And there's no expectations from anyone. There's no pressure from anyone for that to be what happens. And when it comes down to it, when it's just about her, she chooses him. And I can sit here and give you all the reasoning for that, all the reasons why it had to be him, etc. But at the end of the day, what matters is that she wanted to be with him and she didn't want to be with Gail. And this is one of the, like, in terms of her romantic life, this is the first actual decision decision she has gotten to make. And it goes back to that scene when Gail's like, she'll pick whoever she can't survive without. And she's like, every single emotion I have has been taken and exploited by the rebels, by the capital, by you name it. And now you're acting like who I spend the rest of my life with also has to be a decision about survival. And it doesn't have to be that. And that's what she realizes when she ends up with PETA and when she finally acknowledges that she loves him and has loved him for a long time. We're very aware of this as readers, but it's just her being able to speak it into the world without being afraid of that. Because again, in the past, love has meant loss and pain because like everyone that she loved was always being threatened and many, many of them died. And it was always like the fear if you love someone, they are going to be killed or taken away from you. And so she can finally say that to him and feel secure and know that's how she feels, but also not feel that that is going to result in pain or loss for her. Which brings us to the epilogue. A lot of people misinterpret this epilogue and think that it falls into the trope where a female character spends the entire series talking about how she doesn't want kids only to end up having kids in the end and it does not fall into that trope because the reason she says she doesn't want kids is not because she doesn't want kids it's because she's so afraid and because she doesn't feel safe she knows that bringing a child into the world would mean subjecting them to the reaping to potential starvation all the things that come along with that, especially when she's a victor, any child of hers would be even more at risk. But she wants kids. And so the fact that she has them is proof that she feels safe. Not one, She's never going to feel 100% safe. It's just like with everything that's happened, there's always going to be lingering fears and, and trauma that is never going to just like magically go away. However, it's still like she she feels that she can protect them she feels that the world is not going to take them away from her and that is huge and it takes a long time to get there and we know that peter really wants kids that much is very clear to us but it's also not a situation where he was like no no please can we please have kids until she was finally like oh fine like i guess if that's what you really want and she obviously loves them too and she really wanted that and like again it was just the fear but she is able to work through that. And I think that is huge for her character. And so I don't think that it falls into like a harmful trope of like a woman has to have kids to feel fulfilled because it was never about that. It was about her healing and her process. And like the the last line of this book being there are much worse games to play. Imagine writing the perfect closing line to a book. Imagine writing that. Like, but yeah, so that was 
that's the tea on Gail and Peter. Hey Mitch, I love you so much. I wish that you could be happy, but it's okay. There are not tears in my eyes right now. That would be silly because he's a fictional character. <laughs> anyway, wow, we got through all my topics. I really speed speed run speed ran speed run some of them um because I was worried that we weren't gonna have time but we actually did get through them all I did write down this line I don't remember what I was gonna talk about in context with it but it's a good line so I'm gonna read it it's when Katniss is in her like in imprisonment sort of when they're waiting for her trial and she says I no longer feel any allegiance to these monsters called human beings, despite being one myself. Because again, I talk about like that kind of idea of like what is human nature to be violent or to be good being the like big theme of ballad. But it is also a theme that is present in the original books, even if it's not like the main intentional theme of them, it's still very much there. And Katniss goes back and forth on it a lot because she's still very young. She's still trying to figure that out. And she's seen a lot of bad, a lot of bad and that's her whole thing where she makes like the lists in her mind of all the good things she's seen people do because she has to remind herself that for every bad thing that has happened that like people are capable of someone is doing something good and that is again another thing with like the like idea of like Peter versus Gale peace versus war whatever of like goodness versus evil is that like Peta makes her believe in or helps her to believe in like goodness in the world and she never really got that feel and probably never would and it's super important to her because she has spent so long believing in in, like the evil and seeing it firsthand that like being able to believe in something good and something more than that is really really important is really pivotal and again helps her to get where she is in that blog that's Mockingjay my favorite book ever I did get really emotional reading the end of this book. I always do. I've read it more times than I can count, but it'll always happen. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Next week, I'll be starting on the Mockingjay movies, and I'll be covering Mockingjay Part 1 in its entirety. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating on the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.